Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast. Uh, my name is Brad. I am the host for this show. And this is the podcast that really digs into some of the new and exciting products that Warlord Games have put out. Now, if you've listened to this show at all, you will know that over time, uh, you will have learned that I'm a massive Bolt Action fan. It's how I found Warlord Games, um, and it is how I really got into uh, you know the cool products they put out. Now, today we have on two authors of Bolt Action's newest book, and it's a really exciting new chapter for Bolt Action. Because as you know, up until now, Bolt Action has always been uh, the World War II game. Now, I hear people in the background calling out, uh, well, in the Chinese, you know, in the uh, Empires and Flames book, Brad, you know, it gets into the war in China, and that technically predates World War II. Well, some people do consider that as sort of either a preamble or the actual beginning of World War II itself. So we're still talking the same ballpark. Well, today we're actually going to get into a whole new era, a whole new battlefield, new armies, new rules, new everything. And sure, it's probably in the same time frame as what I was talking about with the Chinese conflict before World War II, except in the other direction. Of course, I'm talking about the war that followed up World War II, and I'm talking about the new book that's just come out, Korea. Now, to, to, I mean, to, just to dig into that, that is a massive endeavor to take on an entire new conflict. And joining us today to talk about how they tackled that conflict and I could go on about, you know, what they've done and what they've written and where they've been. But with such a big book, we're just going to get right into it today. Uh, I would like to welcome Stephen Smith and John Russell to the Warlord cast. Hey, guys, welcome. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Hey, Brad. Hey, it's good to be here, man. It's an exciting day for Bolt Action. There is just, yeah. God, there's just so much to talk about with this book. It's huge, first of all. Um, well, can one of you there. gentlemen please tell us how big this is? It's the, it's the largest book that Warlord's done in the Bolt Action genre. It's 240 pages. It's larger than the Bolt Action 2 rulebook. That's nuts, man. Now, I do want to clear up a misconception right off the bat because I've posted a few... Um, a few posts about the Korea book through my own social media page. And one of the common misconceptions with this book is it's a brand new game. Uh, a lot of people believe that this is bolt action. Korea is actually a game in and of itself. Um, can you tell us what it is exactly? And do they still need the bolt action Two rule book? Okay. That's a great question, Brad. And here's the short answer. Um, we clearly state in the opening pages that this is a supplement to Bolt Action 2. Got it. it is a, a standalone supplement that allows you to play a new genre of, of scenarios, but you absolutely must have the Bolt Action 2 rules to play Bolt Action Korea. Mm -hmm. It just gives a, 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 a Bolt Action player an opportunity to take their, their late war armies, pr provided they're predominantly allied, um, and expand upon um, the figure range that they already have and play new scenarios that, that you know, that they haven't been able to play before. Um, but because the Korean War came so short after the end of World War II, you know, they can just bridge right over. So mm -hmm. have to have the Bolt Action 2 base rule set to be able to use the Bolt Action Korea supplement. And having, having said that, uh, Brad... A lot of people out there, they'll say, well, then if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, 
it's a duck. In this case, it's a goose because it's it's not quite bolt action. And, right. and in, in the confines of your own home, if you want to fight a bolt action army against a Korea army, have a nut. However, exactly. in tournaments, they won't work. A, a Korean army will pretty much tear you up. Oh, will it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. It, it, it's going to tear you up just because of the just because it's been five years, but the tactics and the weapons have improved immensely. Nice. And the organization of some of the units will has certainly changed drastically, especially mid-war and late war. Don't want to get too far into the weeds on that, but mm-hmm. uh, um some of the weapon systems have changed and they were drastically improved. Mm-hmm. Some of the technology, even though it was kind of primitive, you know, in accordance with today's technology, it was vastly different. The firepower levels were different. The coordination between the Air Force and the Army was vastly superior, especially with the Marines and the Navy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like John said, if you try to do a backwards compatible, it's not going to work. And mm-hmm. Um, the capabilities of a, of a Korean army list is going to far outweigh that of a late war army list. Got it. Let go alone an early war one, right? Yeah, but go ahead and try. I mean, if you want to go ahead and try it at your own home, but it, it won't work. Right, right, right. All right. Like, oh. Well, let's 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 get into this a little bit. I mean, you you guys have thrown out a lot of talking points that I've already wanted to bring up. So first of all, um, bolt action, of course, there was the whole. I mean, we had the original armies of uh, series, which covered all the nations. They're typically called the nation army books. Um, of course, there's been the campaign books. We've had the theater books. Um, there's been a whole new series or a whole series of uh, additions to the bolt action game, including tank war. Now, this is, I believe, if tank war didn't count as a supplement, is this the first proper supplement to bolt action? I think when you put it in that context, Brad, probably because it's got all of that. Right. All right. All right. Well, let's let's put a little. Let's put a little bit of a preamble on this so people know um, what we're talking about. Because another thing that I've sort of discovered from posting a few things on social media is that some people are, I mean, people are aware the Korean War exists. A lot of people have watched MASH. Um, But given this, given, right, given the scheme of, um, you know, the scale of how well people, especially in bolt action land, know World War II. Um, and given how much Vietnam's been talked about in popular culture, the Korean War is often talked about as the quote-unquote forgotten war. Um, now, for those who don't know, post-World War II, sort of the first five minutes of the Cold War, um, there was, uh, you know, technology was continuing to, uh, as you say, advance uh, militarily because people are still spending a lot of money on making sure that their militaries are up to date. But by the same token, the Americans had, and largely a lot of the Allies, had mothballed a lot of their military. Um, you know, technologically they were still advancing, but they had, you know, gotten rid of most of their forces. Um, and, you know, basically everyone had um, stepped out of active service um, and had gone home. Um, now, of course, there were still military forces, but if we're thinking about the Allied military compared to what it was just, as you say, five years previously at the end of World War II, it's a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, it's green. Exactly. It was it was absolutely atrocious, and I put some of those statistics in the book. 
Um, and this is why I went through and, and tried to outline um, a bit of a timeline to lead new players and new gamers uh, who would be looking into this as mm -hmm. to what's the background on the Korean War because you used the term that I hear so often about the Forgotten War. Mm. And one of the reasons why Korea is considered uh, the Forgotten War is because it's sandwiched between the greatest generation, mm -hmm. World War II, and what you said, Vietnam. You know, Vietnam generates so much more conversation and controversy, especially mm -hmm. in the United States, than the Korean War ever did. Uh, and, and without getting into a, a, a longer conversation, you know, the mm -hmm. Korean War was the very first conflict that the United States was engaged in that ended in a truce. Right. And, you know, we just had unconditional surrenders of the, the German nation and the Japanese empire. And five years later, we we'll do it. And nobody knew what to do with that. Mm -hmm. So um, there was no big victory parade. There was no finality to the end of it. Right. And so even though the United Nations accomplished its mandate, it still felt hollow. Right. Um, and so the American people didn't know what to do with that. And the American military uh, was so focused on Europe and the Cold War that nobody really they just wanted Korea over with. Yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you this little bitty tidbit. You asked about nuances when we started. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a little bitty tidbit. I've often said that the Korean War was a war that never should have happened. And it didn't have to happen, but the big three during the Yalta conference discussed what to do about Korea specifically. Mm -hmm. And it was all, everybody agreed that Korea needed to be independent, but nobody agreed to what form of government Korea was going to have. Was it going to be an independent democratic nation? Was it going to be an independent communist nation? Was it going to be subjected to the United Nations? It was just like, yeah, well, Korea is going to be an independent country. And then they just left it blank. Yeah. And then five years later, there's a conflict. Mm -hmm. So as weird as it sounds, the Korean War never really should have happened. Well, and you know how it was Well, Steve alludes to it in the book to kind of how it was divided. It just, you know, two Americans were stuck in a jeep and they said, go, go divide this country because it's got to be divided and get ready for it, it, its independence. Mm -hmm. and so these two guys sat around for a while and then finally figured, well, I guess we're going to get this done, so let's just pick this. And they just agreed to, to make the line the 38th parallel. And, yeah. that, and that's how they divided Korea. And they said that the, the Russians will take care of the the the, the people up north mm -hmm. until they're ready to go on their own. And the U.S. and the U.N. will take care of the south until they're ready to go on their own. But they never, like Steve said, discussed about what on their own would be. Yeah. And funny that they chose those lines, or that line, I should say, given that how close one of them is to Seoul, the capital of the other. Yeah. yeah. And you just go, this was, you know, I know there was a lot of uh, political uh, hoo-ha involved with that decision, but that line was literally decided upon, as you say, between two Americans, um, you know, s regular servicemen who um, were sort of hoist, this was hoisted on them. Um, and they didn't even have a proper map. That 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 line was decided by looking at a page from a National Geographic magazine. 
Yes, very good, Brett. Yeah. That's and the Korean people were not consulted at all. No. Yeah. They were preordained. And and now looking back and looking at this historiographically, these people, the the military, they had a mission to disarm the Japanese. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to get their job done so they can go home. Right. And no fault of their own. They're just, you know, following the simple orders that they've been given. Mm-hmm. But uh, this this never should have been left to these guys. This yeah. should have been a State Department and United Nations and representatives from both countries. And uh, there was some guy in charge in Tokyo. What was his name? Oh, I can't remember his name. Yeah. 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 yeah it had five stars. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was it? That guy that was in some emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Some emperor in in, in, uh, Tokyo should have been in charge. Anyhow, please go ahead, Brad. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're falling off into a, uh, and I'm very, very (laughs) much guilty of this, getting into a political discussion of um, how, you know, that shook out. But um, what did you say? Warning rabbit hole ahead. Yeah. There's, I feel like there's a couple. Uh, but again, I, without context, this war doesn't make complete sense. So um, can we quickly talk about maybe some of the, and I know this sort of goes into the missions in the book. So first of all, let's back up for a second. How many missions are in this 240-page book? Well, there's, there's 17 scenarios. That's right. But... Of those, three of them are what ifs. Mm-hmm. And we can get into those each because there's a reason why we did the what ifs. Nice. But and a lot of people have asked us about it. And some people, some of the complaints I've seen on the Facebook is that <laughs> our, our scenarios are too specific. And oh. the reason why we wrote them that way was we wanted to give you a feel of that time and that period and what was going on. Right. Now, me and Steve came down was trying to figure out how else we could expand this book. And we, we, we stumbled upon the idea of period selectors because nice. it's one, it's one theory. It's only one, it's one theater. There, there's no theater selectors, right? but there's, there's a bunch of period selectors. So each army list has got five period selectors and that's where you can really flesh out your armies and flesh out your experiences. Use the scenarios that we've written to get a feel for that. And we've also changed the map sizes on those scenarios. They're not your typical right. four by six. I did some notice of them that. Are, yeah, some of them are four by two, some of them, mm-hmm. one's three by 10. So yeah. Just, and, and that's one of my personal favorites. So we'll talk about that one too, but. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I tell you what, Brad, let me, let me back up just a little bit and give you some idea of how this kind of came to be and how it it, Good. it grew because you know john had this idea um to to do a korea book mm-hmm. and when it first got started uh the studio the warlord studio said okay this is what we want we want one book one supplement and we want um the entire ward one supplement and we want all all major combatants, you know, the five major combatants, and we want this from both perspectives. Yeah. And we want it, we want it in so many thousands of words. And I thought, no, but yeah. okay, we'll do that. And so uh, I pecked away and pecked away. And then, and uh, I remember I, I handed it off uh, 
to John in the studio and the studio is like, but where's the fluff? Where's the fluff? And where's this? And where's mm-hmm. that? And it, we kind of went back and forth with the studio and my, you know, and I was, it was like arguing with my daughter. It was like, but you said this many words and that's what you got. Mm-hmm. And they kept saying, well, what about this? And I said, well, you said this many words and that's what you got. Yep. So finally they said, well, write it, <laughs> break down that barrier. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and it just, then it was like a tidal wave. Um, and so it started to grow and then the studio became more and more excited about it, excited and interested. Mm-hmm. And then it was, uh, they went down rabbit hole. Oh man, did they go mm-hmm. down rabbit hole? So then, so everybody wanted to include their rabbit hole. So it, it became, <laughs> yeah. When we finally finished this about probably six months before it was printed, we had to say, we, we had to call knock it off. We, we just, we had to stop because there were, we would, we would, it, it still would have been written by now because yeah. there were so many things. Right. And so as we progressed along and I'm doing all this research, you know, I mean, I, I could have written many books, you know, miniature books on the Commonwealth or China mm-hmm. or uh, even North Korea. Um, but the overall intent was to put together competitive army lists mm-hmm. for the war, not necessarily for tournaments per se. Right. And as John said, you know, we came up with this idea for period selectors because the war evolved naturally over over uh, a scale of time. Yeah. And so the Chinese intervention and the, the collapse of the Chinese uh, in in the spring and the late su- early summer of 51 allowed for uh, these period selectors and the different arrival times of the Allied contingents. And, oh, man, there's some of them are really cool. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, the, the Ethiopians. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the bottom line is that the scenarios in this book, and I'm going to let John talk the scenario piece because he was really the, the the king of the hill of that. The scenarios in this book are designed not only to play, but to also teach a bit of history about the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Uh, because so, as, as you alluded to, so many of our players, bolt action players, already know so much about World War II, right? And they know so little about the Korean War, mm-hmm. and there were great um, battles that took place in Korea that haven't been given their proper due mm-hmm. uh, for the, the men on both sides who fought these engagements. So right. the scenarios are not necessarily designed just to entertain. They're also designed in a small way to teach. Yeah, to yep. educate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Every Steve has written a bit... It, we, we've had a lot of questions about the book. A lot of people ask us questions, and it's it's becoming obvious sometimes that they obviously they haven't read all the book yet because they jump to the army list or they jump to the, the scenario. And Steve is if if you go through that book, Brad, I think Steve's put a history lesson in every single entry, yeah. every single paragraph. Oh yeah, learned something. And and it's just it's it's I understand it, it, it's it's a a large task. But you'll come out of the other end of this if you read this book a little more educated. Oh, yeah. A little bit. How about a lot more? Uh, having flipped through the book, I've gone, whoo. Yeah, there's uh, there's quite a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Well, we tried to 
like Steve said, we had a mandate to, to write it from both sides. Mm -hmm. So we tried to stay neutral the whole way through. We tried to present Chinese heroes or notable combatants. Mm -hmm. We tried to present the Chinese perspective, the North Korean perspective, uh, heroes, uh, heroes and notable combatants from both sides. So, and, and there's always, this isn't the end all be all uh, written in concrete. We've, me and Steve have introduced Korea now. So if there's something that out there that your, you know, your listeners are very passionate about and they've got the research, I mean, you can check our bibliography. We've done our homework, mm -hmm. but, uh, if you've got something that's burning a hole in, in, in your history pocket, and you really want to get it out there, write a PDF and send it to Warlord and who knows. You saw all those scenarios that we did for the for the D-Day campaign. Mm -hmm. There's nothing saying that we can't do the same thing for Korea. Totally. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And I think uh, a conflict like this, and uh, as you say, your book sort of opens the door. And it, you know, there really are, I mean, countless rabbit holes, as you've also said, to uh, sort of to go down um, with this conflict. I mean, I'm holding the Osprey Korean War, um, you know, they do the softback books, and it's 96 pages of just bare bones outlining of battles um, mm -hmm. and the conflict as a whole. And it barely scratches the surface how you guys were able to cram new army lists, new <laughs> units, scenarios to match a lot of those conflicts, um, you know, and, and have all that line up and add history in 240 pages is astonishing. Um, a, lot of, a lot of sweat, blood and tears. I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, OK, um, I, I do want to get to the missions and we are going to come back to that in a sec. But I hear the internet calling, uh, and people want to know the army list. I mean, one of the one of the common threads um, with bolt action books is, Brad, ask the guests what's in the book. How can I add this to my existing bolt action army? Now we've already said that you you really can't do that. So what are the army lists that people can build from scratch? Then, what I mean, well, I know we have the Americans. So where do well, we go from there? Well, you, you can take your later war uh, Americans, your late mm -hmm. war French, your late war uh, British, uh, and they'll transfer over pretty much. Uh, mm -hmm. Australians. Australians, yeah. Yeah, the Australians will be in there the too. Aussies. The yeah. Aussies, yeah. Um, they'll work. and uh, But for a completely brand new army, uh, we've got the Koreans and we've got the Chinese. And I got to tell you, those Chinese, oh, my goodness. That was a – Steve, Steve sat – it was five or six months trying to crack that list. And then thank goodness for George Nassinger and his collection of books. He had mm -hmm. two books that really kind of cracked the code for us. And we were able to get into, uh, it was after action reports, interrogation of prisoners and SLA marshals. And a lot of people, when they study Korea, they go two ways. They either love S slam, they call them, mm -hmm. or they hate him, uh, uh, SLA marshal. But because of what he did in the interviews, the United States army changed forever mm. for, from that day on. But the, the two newest armies now to the bolt action family, I guess you could say, are the Chinese mm -hmm. and the North Koreans. Yeah. Oh, and the South Koreans. And the South Koreans. I was going to say, three. and the South Koreans, yeah. Three. Well, and, and let me say this, that, um, you know, players need to understand uh, a realism of business. That, you know, we build an army list, but that army list is transplanted to a, a business in the, in the UK mm. and that business has to model those figures and then they've got to package those figures and they've got 
you know, so much space that they can put in a shipping container right. and then, you, gotta, you know, send them all over the world. So, you know, we tried to meld together um, uh, as accurate an army list as possible for a, an infantry squad mm-hmm. that's going to be able to fit accurately and comfortably inside of a box or a blister package that's going to be able to go into a shipping container and then go halfway around the world to Australia. Right. So, you know, there, there has to be a little bit of give and take sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and that might not necessarily apply, say, to an infantry squad, but it certainly may apply to a mortar team or an artillery uh, right. battery uh, section. So there were a couple of times that um, you know, just with the Chinese that I had to trim back the size of the artillery, the artillery, um, the crews, because the Chinese had huge crews for their, for the artillery. They did because much of it was man packed. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I had a conversation uh, via email with Paul, uh, Mr. Paul Sawyer. And, you know, he asked a very simple question. He's like, what are these figures actually going to do on the tabletop? Mm -hmm. I thought, well, Nothing really. They're 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 going to occupy space and they're going to look cool and they're going to be more figures for some poor guy to buy and paint. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I'm thinking it'll look more accurate. Yeah. But from the business standpoint, from a gamer standpoint, all it's going to do is clutter up the table, and that gamer's going to be like, "I'm not painting these guys because they're not going to do anything." Right. So the, the agreement was, well, we're going to have to reduce the size of these artillery crews. Yeah, and keep but, it, sort of keep it in line with the bolt action that we know already. Yes. Yep. And I really want to make that point that it was, you know, a lot of this was kept in line, as you said, to use mm-hmm. your phrase, compatible and comparable with uh, a, a game that everybody already knows. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a whole lot of deviation in many respects. I mean, you might see a deviation in the Chinese or the North Koreans for a submachine gun company, right. because that's what they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was something uh, akin to the Russians too. Exactly. So you got a, you got some different formations, Um but in many respects, a lot of the formations may look similar to something that came out of World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had to adjust the sizes to make them more uh, oh, yeah. game friendly. Yeah, tabletop friendly. Tabletop friendly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but everything was researched down to the nth degree, <laughs> and then double checked and double crossed and. Mm-hmm. When I say double cross, I mean if I had it in one document, I made sure I found that in exactly. another document. Yeah. So um, that was a lot. That was a painstaking part. Yes. Uh, especially for the Chinese. The Chinese. There's there was not a lot out there, uh, Brett, when we first started this, and it was painful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I do want to say this about the Chinese army and and what led to the Chinese army list mm-hmm. that. You know, when they say that the, the Chinese people volunteer army, it really was. They were volunteers. They mm-hmm. were not paid when they fought in Korea. Uh, they took soldiers out of military formations, and they, they made units out of them, and they sent them across the Yalu River. There was not an, an MTONE for these units. Oh. So 
the military cable of organization for the nuns. Uh, right. Military yeah. cable of it did not exist. Oh, that's crazy. So what I used for the base foundation and, and grew upon was a declassified Ninth Army military intelligence document from like it was sometime uh, February of 1951 that I obtained that through prisoner of war um, interrogation. Oh, oh man. Oh, all for a yeah. game book. <laughs> yeah. It, it was like I said, we, the, the bibliographies one page and then the movies and TV shows <laughs> is half a page. So that, yeah. And then that's not all of it. That's not all of it. The research is months and months and months. But yeah. yes, I mean, that just gives you an idea of just one source that was used for the Chinese. And then, you know, to sit and read through this ancient PDF of of declassified, you know, almost 70-year-old military jargon thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that I'm a military vet because I was able to read through it. But right. Type Oh man, the, typos. the typos, and then also, you know, we would run across. There was a story that we ran across that we could not substantiate, so we did not include in the book. Right. But you know, it was nice to talk to some veterans, and one guy talked about his uncle or his grandfather it, during one of these attacks by the Chinese, and the horsemen were riding up, and they were shooting mortars from their back of the horses. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, Exactly. Now, maybe they were the Japanese trench, you know, the knee mortar, mm -hmm. the, you know, maybe the two inch mortar. We don't know, but yeah. we couldn't substantiate that. Yeah. So instead of, oh, throw it in there because it sounds cool and looks cool. Oh, can you imagine the model? Yeah. Now, most of the sources, I, I think I can speak this, that most, uh, the units that are in the book have been researched by and we found two or three examples of. Right. It's not like we thought, oh, this would be cool. I mean, the Chinese have two different cavalries. They, and the cavalry's the cavalry list is always important. You know, I helped with with, with less you on the cavalry rule, so I try mm -hmm. to. They're near and dear to my heart. And but um, the, uh, the the Chinese have two cavalry rules. They have cavalry, and they have Mongolian cavalry. Oh, Mongol. Yeah, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're in there for a reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't just cross with some cavalry. They crossed with cavalry divisions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mongolian. I mean, the Golden Horde rode again. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, let's let's get into this because I hear bolt action players saying you're, you're giving us the info now. You're giving us tons of you know uh, background, but but how does that translate to the tabletop? So let's so let's start with the Chinese. Um, okay. With the Chinese list, what what sort of national rules have you given these guys to sort of reflect uh, that that sort of open span um, without formal organization? Um, how does what national rules do you use to sort of put that army on the tabletop? All right, Brad, I'm going to answer that question, but I got to preface it first. Of course, yeah, go ahead. Well, but this applies to all the all the major combatant army lists. Okay. And I've got this massive file at home. Mm -hmm. When I started to build each of the armies, mm -hmm. I based each army, the architecture, the framework off of each army list off of a, an existing bolt action army list already uh, available. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So, it, so everything, I mean, it, so there'll be a lot of familiar rules, um, but again, yeah, everything yeah. adapts to the new conflict. Yes, yes. So yeah. the first one that comes to my mind is um, the North Koreans. You know, I used uh, um, a, a, like a 1944 Soviet list when I first started building the, the, the reinforced the the reinforced platoon. And so I started that as my base document. And then from there, I built the period selectors. And then I went in and I looked at the national rules and, of course, talked to John about all this stuff. So your players are going to see a lot of similarities. It wasn't that we just copied and pasted or right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. slash. No, we looked at what applied. And so for the Chinese, a lot of the Empire of the Sun stuff kind mm -hmm. of applied to the Chinese for both the communist and the nationalist forces because by 1950, the Communist Party had almost won over the entire country. Right. But all of those nationalist forces were still duking it out. Duking yeah, it out. Absolutely. So we blended a lot of those forces and that reflects. So Yeah, and and just because you picked the, the Chinese, I want to point out there's a uh, there's four special rules for them. But they've mm -hmm. also got other little enhancers. For Ooh. example, on page 165, we have a there's a box out for bugles, and uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, the last two sentences were cut out, and it it, it should have talked. It talks about in, in any of the the uh, uh, after action reports, they talked a lot about bugles, noisemakers, cymbals, drums, flutes, and they didn't know what the heck was going on. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, there's two sentences, and I sent it over to you. you uh, the two sentences that are missing is, in scenario set before June 1951, you can represent this by giving a minus one morale penalty to any infantry or artillery unit that's within 18 inches of a Chinese model that's carrying a musical instrument. And in the Chinese army, there is a guy with a bugle. So if awesome. any of your allies are within 18 inches of this guy, you have a minus one morale penalty to anything you roll. Now, after June 1951, they figured it out and it was ignored. But that's just the way we start out the Chinese army list. That's cool. Yeah, it gives it an it gives it that historical flavor, doesn't it? Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. And then we've got four special rules. We've got conscript levy. Mm -hmm. We've got arrow tactics, flag, in short attack. And again, some of us folks say, well, you just cut and paste. Well, no, we based it upon another entry from before, yeah. but it's been modified and brought up to 1950. Right. Well, it, it's consistent, right? Um, I, for those who don't know, I'm a Chinese player in bolt action. It's one of the armies I play predominantly. <laughs> well, so. let me tell you, Brett, make sure just because you see the, the phrase conscript levy, mm -hmm. don't assume that every word is the same. No, it's not, is it? It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been modified for the Korean War. Yeah. Well, I, I like, I love, I, I don't like, I love how you guys have taken existing national rules and modified it, as I say, to match across because it gives that familiarity. It's not like all of a sudden it's a, I mean, we're talking five years after the end of World War II. Um, and those uh, Chinese lists um, were designed to be all inclusive as it is because. The Chinese, I mean, those are that army list is meant to uh, represent forces for literally 15 years, if not longer. Uh, 
um, right. of the conflict. And now to modify them and put them into Korea means that you can represent forces up to 20 years. And uh, yes, that is gives it a very broad scope. But again, a lot of the Chinese, the way that list was written and the way it carries through to the Korean book um, is, as you say, there are other... Uh, you know the the units that you pick and the special rules that they give you really does then um, give it that flavor. So I really like what you've done there with you guys. You know, as far as using the national rules and then bringing them forward, especially since you're not just as you say cutting and pasting, you're adapting them to make them fit. Um, so let's talk about some of those units then within the Chinese list. How are you giving them that flavor? Well. It- with the short attack and the sparrow tactics, the guerrillas and the and and, and the night infiltrators mm-hmm. and the guerrilla cells and the partisan cells are going to get in your face real fast. Oh yeah. Uh, and then if you are strictly just infantry with the short attack, the Chinese officer kind of like what the Germans do, they get an extra dice if they do a snap too. Oh, so nice. you're moving your infantry a lot faster. Mm-hmm. And one of the infantry squads that, that that we went round and round and round with, but we me and Steve fought for it and fought for it because they were in the battle. But there's an old story about Jervis Johnson. Uh, when when, you, when you're a game designer, you're asking people to kill their babies. Right. And, and, and I'll preface this. What, what we were asking to do was we were asking, me and Steve were asking Alessio and Paul to break bolt action with this unit I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And they were at first. And we said, but look, documentation after documentation, these guys are out there. we got to have them in there. And they were saying no. So they were asking us to kill our baby because we really, really fought for this. And we had a compromise. And the unit we're talking about is the Chinese Grenadiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad, these guys were were, were a, a unit of four or five guys. Mm-hmm. All they had were bags and bags of grenades. Oh. And they'd run up and they'd throw grenades at the at the uh, UN forces to get their heads down. So when the submachine gun units came up behind them, they could just spray the trenches. Oh, now, crazy. The, the Americans at first were a little worried about these because grenades but then they discovered that one out of four were duds mm-hmm. and the ones that did go off sometimes weren't properly charged or had enough gunpowder so they became contemptuous some of them still got killed don't get me wrong but yeah they, they, they didn't become the big thing that they thought they were but we had to have grenadiers in the chinese mm-hmm. so we went back and forth up until probably the last couple of months before the editing and we finally had a compromise we there are grenadiers in the chinese army list and they only have grenades but oh. those grenades so it doesn't break the bolt action game, mm-hmm. act like pistols. So the, the, when they get within six inches, it's like they all have pistols and they shoot a crap load of pistols. Mm-hmm. And then they, they, they get them to get their heads down and here comes the SMG squads to spray more. So awesome. that's a brand new, never seen before in bolt action mm-hmm. is the grenade. I was going to say, yeah, have- that's never been in bolt action before. An all pistol squad right. like that. Uh, that's yeah, awesome. All grenade squad, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, so that's a new unit. The Mongolian uh, cavalry is a new unit. They had two different types of cavalry. Like mm-hmm. Steve said, the Mongol horde rides again. Um, the Golden Horde rides again. Uh, they they have a born in the saddle, which means they can shoot their rifles from the back of the horse. They're not carbines. They're rifles. Oh, cool. So those are in there. Uh, we've got some machine gun squads, cavalry squads, engineer squads, guerrilla cells, scout mm-hmm. teams, night infiltrators. Uh, light machine guns, mini machine guns, heavies. There are some things, you know, before, flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. We have bazooka teams. Uh, the bazooka nice. played a prominent role. A lot a lot of it was captured because the Americans 
discovered that the 2.36 was a piece of junk mm-hmm. and they, they threw them down. And, they, and then they got the, the three inch and they became a super bazookas. Well, and let me say that uh, a lot of Chinese players are going to sit back and go, you know, oh, well, I, I've got more infantry squads than I was ever allowed to have in bolt action. Yes, mm-hmm. this is true. But you're not going to have a lot of artillery. You're not going to have any aircraft. You're not going to have any aircraft of, guns. Any air, anti-aircraft mm-hmm. guns to speak of. You're not going to have armor to speak of. You're just going to have truckloads of, of of infantry. Right. Um, that's what the Chinese had. Um, and so one of the ways that I was able to duplicate that the myth of the Chinese horde was to to give the Chinese all these extra units, the night infiltrators and the guerrillas, and a lot of people became very upset when they started seeing the guerrilla cells, but they don't realize that, I mean, there were tens of thousands of guerrillas operating all up and down Korea on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I've got plenty of documentation. I'd be happy to send to you about that stuff. And, the, and that's, and those are going to, you're going to see those reflected into, uh, cruel seas scenarios, uh, maybe some firefight scenarios, nice. just, just some, some one-off stuff. But, but, but some people, they they look at us. They go, well, look, I, I I'm looking at that Chinese army list, and, and with with my my constructed levy, and then my sparrow tactics, I'm halfway across the board. And then you're gonna give a short attack, allows them to move even more infantry. They're halfway across the board. When well, that's not fair. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? This is Korea, and that's what it is. And war isn't fair. Yeah. And it, and who said that we had to have a balanced scenario? It, it if you when, when you start going down the rabbit holes and you do your research of the Koreans, mm-hmm. you're going to discover that they didn't just, it, this isn't a black powder, let's line up and shoot our guns in March, you know. Right. It's, well, it's, and, and I want to say this about it's not fair. Okay. Well, go to the back of the book and take a look at the big stack of special rules. Yeah. And start adding in a big stack of the special rules into your scenario and then play the game. Yeah. And test yourself. I mean, Bolt action Korea is all about testing yourself as a gamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't fall. And you, you, you touched on it earlier. It looks like city fight, or looks like raiding, or looks like mud in front. You got to read the rules because it's not the same. We took that because we knew bolt action players used to minefields or used to uh, weather or fog. But Ch- but Korea has all of that. Seventy percent mm-hmm. of its mouth. So yeah. they've got all stuff. So just because it says city fight doesn't mean it's city fight because there's sewer moving in there and a bunch of other fun things. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It, again, these are the rules that, that really do make the, the conflict uh, unique and original uh, and different than what we're used to, especially I, I, I get the feeling that, you know, I, I hear you mention that, you know, a few people have talked about, you know, some of the things that they've seen in the book and maybe been a tad critical. I think that... Um, when you are talking about playing this in sort of a narrative sense, when you are talking about playing it with your friends, when you're talking about even having um, Korean events where you have Korean-style um, armies facing off using these missions, um, again, it's it's a different feel. It's It looks like the bolt-action game that we know and love. It smells like the bolt-action game that we know and love. You know, you can go through all the senses there, but it's different, and it should be approached as different. Yeah, it looks like a duck. It quacks like a exactly. duck, but it's a goose. It's a goose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so you should give it its due in that it it is a different, it's a different way of playing. It's a different yeah. game, but it's the same. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, and, and 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 there's so many things that me and Steve 
caught and there's a few things that slipped through. Mm -hmm. Now, me and Steve spent about a year and a half on this book. You know, I've been talking about it for three years and mm -hmm. we worked pretty hard for, for a year and a half. And on all that year and a half time, uh, Brad, me and Steve never thought about the, the, the night weapons and they put one on the cover. So, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so for right now, and then of course, then on page 220, there's another picture of a guy with one. So to, to caveat, and there'll be a PDF maybe later, if you want to play with those guys, use the German night fighting rules mm -hmm. with, with their night weapons. Cause that's, that's what it'll be. It'll be modified. But yeah. again, we try to cover so many things in this book yeah. and stuff to flip through. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, we've talked a little bit about the Chinese. Let's talk about um, if we're talking about looks the same, smells the same, very similar um, army list. Let's talk about the 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 giant one, the U.S. The Americans? The Americans? The Americans. Now, um, I have a giant uh, gray coat American uh, winter clothed uh, existing Battle of the Bulge army painted, ready to go. Now, I... I'm eyeing up the patent tank, something fierce to add to that. And if I'm reading this book right, um, that's all I really need. I mean, I don't even need the patent. I can use some of my existing tanks. But I want to put that, that extra flavor in there to, to really make my force pop for Korea. Um, talk to us a little bit about how the Americans in particular poured over. Okay. Um... So you've got Battle of the Bulge, U.S., and uh, you said it's an infantry force? Uh, it's, it's, it's a big generalist force. I have a ton of transports, you know, a bunch of okay. half-tracks, a bunch of trucks, uh, some tanks. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, that kind of late war force um, will work well for this. I mean, there's still... Yeah, what you can add to yours, Brad, besides the patent, is mm -hmm. the Katusa. Add the Katusas nice. and, and helicopters. And we'll nice. talk about helicopters because that's the big one. Uh, but the Katusa uh, allowed the uh, – a Katusa is a, a Korean augmentation to the U.S. Army. Katusa, K-A-T-U-S-A. And what they were were Chinese oh, – sorry, were Korean uh, infantrymen mm -hmm. that were, weren't really weren't – really, um, uh, knowledgeable on the warfare so they mm -hmm. were attached to an american unit so right. you can beef up your american units by up to three katusas now if you do that however you got a little language barrier in there so you start the game off with a pin because oh, you're trying okay. to get, but, you'll, but you'll beef up your squads and of course the the linchpin for your army is you're going to need to you're going to want to look at uh, on page one, one of a lot of uh veterans uh and uh, we were talking to a major general out in California this weekend. Yeah, uh, Major General John Harrell, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. uh, page 118, the seasoned NCO. Uh, the seasoned NCO awesome. is, uh, me and Steve modeled him after the Sam Elliott character from uh, We Were Soldiers. Mm -hmm. He's that grizzly old veteran that uh, nobody crossed his path. And what right. he'll do for a measly 50 points, what he'll do is, is if he's within six inches of an officer, not a major, but if he's in six inches of a first lieutenant, second lieutenant, or a captain, he makes him one better. So now your first lieutenant's a captain. Now your second oh, lieutenant's a cool. lieutenant. And they, and they act just like uh, a captain as long as he's within six inches. And if the unfortunate thing happens and that sniper just happens to take out that officer, mm -hmm. your season NCO now becomes a first lieutenant. 
Oh, that's cool. That is all, very cool. With all the bells and whistles. Your I, medics, your medic now saves on a five or six because of the forward deployed uh, mobile army surgical hospitals mm -hmm. and the ability to go pick up uh, wounded. Now your, your uh, medics save on a five or six. And if you have an air observer, and this is where it really gets to be fun, uh, you'll see both the United States and the United Kingdom have helicopters. Oh, I was going to throw out the napalm. napalm. Well, there is napalm too. We'll talk oh, about hello. napalm. Yeah, but uh, helicopters. Okay. Now, some people have have. Hold on, Brad. Are you, are you having a moment yet? Oh, I'm loving this. Keep going. Don't stop. This is yeah. beautiful. Okay. Well, there, there's there's love hate relationship with with helicopters. Now, there there was no. Well, I can't say there was no. There was two. Airphibious is what they call them at the mm -hmm. time. Assaults by helicopters. They were on undefended, unguarded hilltops. They dropped some Marines in a fire base. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. And uh, they had a, a fire team there, but it was unopposed. The real backbone workhorse uh, of the helicopters were in three different roles. It was either reconnaissance, aerial observation, or medevac. Mm -hmm. Now, some people say if I'm paying, paying the, you know, if I'm going to pay the points, I should get it automatically. Well, we just didn't have that many helicopters running around. Okay, right. so for example, reconnaissance. You, if you you got to have an air observer first of all, mm -hmm. and then you pay thirty points for two uses. Okay, you only get it twice. Mm -hmm. And then when you want to call it in, you have to roll the dice, and a five or a six, it kicks off. So it, it, it's tricky to get it. Right. But what that reconnaissance does is on a four or better, on every hidden unit on the board, they become seen. Oh, cool. Now, here's the next one. Aerial observer, mm -hmm. 40 points. Okay, again, five or six, it works. What the air observer now does, for the duration of that turn, all spotters for all artillery units see everything. Oof. Oof. Yeah, you can definitely do some hurt with that then, can't you? And then the final one is the medvac. It's the cheapest. It's only 20 points. Mm -hmm. You can use it twice. And on a four or better, that means the the, 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 the two helicopters are coming in and they're mm -hmm. getting your wounded out. And it expands that six inches of your medic to 18 inches. Oh, wow. Yeah, that definitely helps. So, again, now you can see why if you can try it in the confines of your home, but a World War II American or British Korean army mm -hmm. is not going to – a World War II army won't stand up if you start using helicopters. Yeah, exactly. And then like you said, you go back to uh, – if you call it in and you start to run, and you call it in, and the aircraft come in, now you're going to have either pistons. This is back on page 215. Uh, you're either going to have pistons, the jet or, or propeller driven on a 4, 5, or 6, or 1, 2, 3, the jets come in. Now – Jets come in, they're harder to hit. You have mm -hmm. to roll a stick to hit them with your own aircraft, and they'll, they're, they're a little bit fragile with a four hits, they'll, they'll abort. Mm -hmm. Whereas pistons, you can hit them on a five or six, but they hang around and they won't abort until six hits. But the, but the magic is if you roll a five or six, and that's the napalm. Oh, yeah, I'm having flashes of apocalypse now. Okay, yep, continue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the target takes D, D3 plus two pins, mm. it's a four inch template. All right, and it does a three-inch penetration, a plus three penetration, mm -hmm. and then from that point of impact, you roll 
2d6 and in a straight line it goes across the board that distance because it spreads and now everything will be hit with a five pin d3 plus two pins and you can't go down to have hits that's nuts yeah brad you know that chinese horde that was halfway across the board yep yeah that will take care of that (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly hey you were talking about you had this big big you know united states army force Mm -hmm. and have a if you want to bring in a in a patent you know from about the time of say september october 1950 on you know your force would be viable um because that's about the time some of the patent tanks started rolling in Mm -hmm. you know at least by october um so you'd be restricted on when you could use that force but i want to throw this out at you too another high hanging curveball mm-hmm. to use an ism i'm referring to a baseball term there oh people. yeah um you can take that american force since they're wearing winter gear and the americans outfitted so many of the allies you can play the belgians you can play ethiopians the ethiopians mm-hmm. the turks the greeks the awesome. dutch colombians colombians oh, filipinos i mean yeah so you can you can take that american force and decide for this game I'm going to, I'm going to play them as the Greeks. That's cool. And there's rules in there for that. And and we've talked with the studio and we're still kicking around the idea that when these 13 other nations came into Korea, they were given American or British kit. So mm-hmm. instead of making a whole Greek figure, a whole Turk, we're going to maybe have heads. Heads. So you nice. heads on your guys. So now, cause, I, and, and I know that the late war Americans didn't have spats in Korea, like they like the model does, but I mean, okay, we'll count that button and buff that Persian blue. <laughs> right. uh, but but I mean, to get figures on the table, this is what we did. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you say, sometimes you got to make a little bit of a sacrifice, um, uniform wise, just to get, you know, to get what you want on the table. And man, there's so many options. Just, just talking through some of the, and I'm glad you brought up the sort of those minor nations that used American kit and just the viability of using existing American forces, um, using those, you know, rules just blows open the door. It's like using the free French in the battle of the bulge book, for example, using American rules. It's a new way to play Americans. Well, now you have tons of different ways to play Americans, which is really exciting. Well, and, and, and and we tied a bunch of it to historical too. A lot of people were busting our chops. Why do we have Rangers and Raiders? Mm -hmm. There's Rangers and there's Raiders. Well, you look at them, they're pretty much the same. One costs more than the other, but why not just get rid of the Raiders and just use Rangers? Well, it's because the United States Army disbanded all Ranger units in 1950. Mm-hmm. And all the commanders said, no, no, we want those guys. Yeah. So they made their own units inside their own divisions, their own brigade uh, battalions, their own companies. Mm-hmm. And they picked some of these guys that were Rangers oh, and made them Raiders. Got it. So that's why there's two annotations in the book on page 122 of Rangers and Raiders. Yeah, they look the same, but they're not. That's exactly. that goose again. Yeah, exactly, right? Again, uh, similar go, but different. Yeah, and you go to the period selector, and you then you see where you can and can't have them. Right. The period selector is the thing that really makes this click. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that, because this isn't just a simple matter of early war, mid-war, and late war. As you say, it differentiates well, further than that. Yeah, you know, there's five 
different period selectors for everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. There is the first one is defense of Poussin and then advance across the 20, 38. Oh, wait, but there's even one there's before the, that. There's the invasion. Yeah, there's the invasion one. Mm-hmm. Then there's defense. Then there's advance. Then there's Chinese intervention. And then there's uh, uh, July, July 51 and July 52. There so go. there's, yeah, so, and, and some of them are different than other ones. Like for the Chinese, they have 51 to 53. So there's not just, not only is there period selectors, but there's uh, period selectors two army lists right so the chinese period selectors going to be different from the the korean army list so it's not it's not a cookie cutter right they're designed specifically for that army and this period selector i can't say there's just five there's different ones for each army oh that's awesome it differentiates out in a big way but if you wanted to play you know if you you and your friends wanted to get together and play like a korean themed game and there was like three or four of you and you wanted to have a couple of tables and play a couple different games you could all for example agree on a similar year and you could yes. cross-reference that to the selector that, or the, um, not the selector, I'm so used to bolt-action terminology, but yeah, exactly. essentially the selector or the, the period uh, selector for that time frame, and you can play um, historically-themed games. Yes, absolutely, because depending on you know the, the different nationality that you and your friends decide to sit down and play, if one of them was wanting to, to play the Ethiopian battalion, yes. the Ethiopians showed up at a specific time. Mm-hmm. So as long as whatever the time period was, I think it was like 19, the summer of 51. If as long as it was after the summer of 51, then everybody's, everybody's good to go. Nice. So, the Cagnu battalion. The Cagnu battalion. One, mm-hmm. one, 197 caveat. Never at, at the end of the war, there was a prisoner exchange mm-hmm. and all the prisoners have been taken Mostly, I should say, some were still held. At least that's what some of the speculation is. There was no Ethiopian exchanged because there was no Ethiopians captured. And in every battle the Ethiopians participated in, they won. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so there, there's that in the back of the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Well, okay. We've, we've been talking about, we've talked about the Chinese. We've talked about the Americans. Let's talk about... Um, maybe another force that people might be familiar with, um, you know, army-wise. And let's talk about the Commonwealth. Um, now, I know you've mentioned Australians. I know you've mentioned um, Commonwealth in general. Talk to us about that in general. Well, the, the first unit that uh, transferred in was the Hong Kong uh, Regiment because mm-hmm. they were so close, and that comprised of three infantry battalions. Uh, the the United Kingdom already had a lot going on um, in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And the, the United Kingdom was supportive, but not real enthused about the entire situation. But as a show of solidarity, they, they went ahead and sent in these three infantry regiments. And it right. was just three infantry regiments. Um, and then I think it was by... Uh, excuse me, um, October, November, uh, other units started to, uh, to arrive. And one of the more famous units was the 41 commando. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, those lads were, I could talk about them for the next 30 minutes. So I won't. <laughs> right. They, that's a fun bunch. And we'll use some, uh, we'll, we'll be doing some cruel sea stuff for those guys. Yeah. Nice. Um, so they're a fun bunch. 
but again, they, they received all American kit by the time that they arrived. And, and that was all for logistical reasons. Mm -hmm. um, just to be able to maintain resupply. Mm -hmm. A lot of these received American kit. So when, when players are looking through uh, some of the Commonwealth stuff and they see units uh, equipped with American uh, stuff, that's not a typo. That was for logistics reasons. Right. Uh, it's still a little bit of your UK feel with the bombardment and artillery support yes. and national mm -hmm. care, but then they have access to helicopters and they have access to the season NCO even more so than the American, and their medics were, were like ours. Yes, uh, and then uh, once the uh, the Hong Kong regiment showed up, um, then the um, the Third Royal Australian Regiment. The 3rd Battalion Royal Australians, the 16th New Zealand uh, Artillery, and the 2nd Princess Patricia Light Infantry all bonded together to form another uh, brigade. Mm -hmm. And later on, they would go on to form the 1st Commonwealth Division, which was a really unique fighting force. Uh, a really fabulous job. Um, all their engagements and they, they fought us in tremendous battles. Of course. River, yeah. The battle of the Imjin river and the, and glorious the, the of the glorious Gloucesters and um, a battle that I love researching is the one that, that the, uh, uh, the Commonwealth brigade fought in, in the battle of Kapyong uh, during the fifth Chinese offensive. It happened at the same, the same time period as the stand of the glorious Gloucesters, but is at the other end of the river. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, if the Gloucesters and, and uh, the other Commonwealth Brigade hadn't made their stand along the engine, then the the UN line probably would have broke again, and, and Seoul would have been captured for the third time. So the Commonwealth troops uh, fought very hard. Um, nice. A little caveat in history: a lot of people don't know that Sir Michael Caine was uh, a fusilier during the Korean War. Really? And Did he not was, know uh, that. He was he was medically retired for um, wounds acquired. No, he he uh, developed. Uh, I keep wanting to say like trench fever, but he he mm. developed uh, um, some type of infectious situation and was medevaced home. And and just just as a caveat, you had asked us about behind the scenes kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, on page 158, there's a neat little story about a cent the Centurions made their debut. Yes. In and, and just to show you how much the Korea had infiltrated, the, the, the Korea uh, bug had infiltrated into the Warlord Games hierarchy, mm -hmm. uh, John Stollard put me and uh, Steve on a storyline and even had a video movie kind of thing about a standoff between some Centurions and... Uh, an interesting other encounter of enemy. I don't want to spoil it. I let people read it, but on page mm -hmm. one fifty eight, called one of their own, and it's an interesting story. But uh, John Stoller turned us on, so even he got the bug for Korea. That's he gave awesome. us that place. So oh, we had to put nice. it. In. Nice. Okay. Well, what rules do we? I mean, is it again where we see similar rules from the Commonwealth that we're used to that have been modified? Um, are there yeah. differentiations for the different Commonwealth countries? What What are we talking here? Well, we, again, there, there's that British and Commonwealth special rules of, you know, the national characteristic that's still in there. Yeah. Uh, the artillery sports still kind of in there. But mm -hmm. then, you know, the Canadians and the and the Australians mm -hmm. are, 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 are they're a little different. 
uh, you know, they got, and then everybody's got access to helicopters. Awesome. So, so they're it, it, like, like we go back to, it's a goose. It, it, yeah. They're there. They look like a duck, but they're a goose. They're a very different animal. All right. Well, we've kind well, of talked. On, Sorry, guys. I was going to make the, the point that unlike maybe in a game of bolt action, you would see in a game of bolt action Korea, I should say in a game of bolt action two, what you would see in a game of bolt action Korea that would not be unusual on the tabletop in your force, you might have um, your inf infantry platoon might be Australian. Your um, artillery section might be from New Zealand oh. and you might have a support section that would be Canadian. Mm. And you know, you might have an armored section that's American. Right. So the first rule on Korean Royal Special Rules on page 213 is multinational forces. Ah. Yeah. So that will not be unusual in, in bolt action Korea. That's cool. I mean, that, again, gives you a different way to... I mean, you can almost combine existing armies in some cases. You can take existing units from other armies you may have and add them sort of together, add a couple new things, and you have a brand spanking new... Uh, Korean army. Welcome to Korea, Brad. Awesome. Bingo. Love it. I love that. I love when you get to use existing armies in new and interesting ways. It gives them that whole, it revitalizes them. It gives them that whole new life on yep. the tabletop. Yep. And then you throw in nodal combatants. Yes. Uh, we wanted to put, there's special kind of characters that we, we discovered on our journey mm -hmm. that really kind of set us off and we wanted to get them in there somewhere. Uh, but we didn't want to call them heroes mm -hmm. because everybody has heroes. So we, we call them notable combatants. Nice. Now, the communist forces didn't have that cult personality like the UN forces did. Right. So the, and we, and we, we could have, again, gone all day, but we limited it to three. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason why we can't find your own. But we limited it to three for each side. And there's three uh, communist heroes that are amalgamation of several persons or, or events or tanks, for this instance, number Ooh. take two one five, which oh. is is in the Beijing Museum. So we had to do that guy. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, so Commander Tupac of Tank Two One Five. It's you're going to pay three hundred twenty five points for this guy. Ooh. Hopefully he T comes with a tank. <laughs> he comes with a T thirty four eighty five, and he has Eye of Terrain, Bulldozer, Hair Trigger, and Lucky. Awesome. And they can rapid fire. Did I mention that too? Oh, that is awesome. So so we've got three combatants for the Chinese, and we have three combatants for the, the UN. And the one that kind of started this whole story for me three years ago was uh, Sergeant Reckless. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't know about her. I didn't slur that. You know, her. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's a horse, but she's the only uh, one, only animal that I know of in the history of the United States military that actually held a rank, retired, and her stipend went to her care and feeding until the day she died. That's and nuts. she held the rank of staff sergeant. She was given that rank by one of the commandants. Uh, later on, became the commandant of the Marine Corps. And uh, she's buried at, at Pendleton, and there's a book about her. And uh, But she's pretty brave. She was a little uh, Korean racehorse that the Marines bought off of this boy for 250 bucks, mm -hmm. And they used her to carry 75-millimeter recoilless rifle rounds up and down the trails. And uh, uh, during a, 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 a particularly horrific battle in 52 or 53, um, 
October 52 is the big one. Uh, she carried uh, 386 recoilless rifle rounds up and down these hills. And when I say up and down these hills, she was showing the route once, and then she'd do it on her own. Nobody let her. And she'd come up and down. That's about 9,000 pounds. That's unbelievable. And she would also escorted troops back down off the hill and took two wounds and actually has got two purple hearts. Uh, so she's a medic and a transport. That's crazy. And then you got William Speakman, a six foot six British man that was throwing grenades and beer bottles at the Chinese. He's another guy that's just un- incredible. And he was the first guy to get a Victoria Cross. Well, he was awarded it by King George, but he received it from Queen Elizabeth, and it was her first Victoria Cross she gave out. And he was with us until just last year, July 2018, when he died. That's that is absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean, when you talk, start talking about some of the the personalities in these lists, it's it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, again, it's a whole new catalog of people. Um, outside of the realm of what we'd normally know in uh, the land of bolt action that you can include on these tabletops, um, whose stories sound crazy and outlandish only because we're not familiar with the conflicts. Exactly. Exactly. And some of the people are busting our chops about, you know, we'll, we'll jump back briefly to mm. the American Air Force because uh, they have uh, uh, easily light. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason... We understand that that could be, uh, it is it's, it is and it isn't, but the reason why Steve put that in there is because some of those M4s three months ago were on a plinth, were in storage wrapped in Cosmoline, oh, were, yeah. were stuffed in stuff. We were grabbing everything that wasn't tied down to throw into this conflict. Right. So it's not that they would easily catch fire. It's that the guy didn't hook up that hose to get the, to get the uh, hydraulics to work right, or mm-hmm. it was rotted because it has been sitting out on a, pole on some guy's park for a while yeah right. exactly this is the truth when uh the 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 first tanks that went to korea was four tanks mm-hmm. and they were cannibalized in the the tokyo um maintenance depot and they weren't even the same four tanks that's crazy um, lasted i think two days and then um, the other tanks, as John was saying, almost every other tank was sitting in front of like a VFW mm-hmm. or in front of a museum somewhere, or they were rusting away at Redstone Arsenal in Alabama, and they were cobbled together. Mm-hmm. The only formation that took tanks to war that were ready to go to war was the sixth? I think it was the sixth tank battalion of the Marine Corps. Uh, and if I've got that wrong, I apologize. But it was the Marine Corps. They were the only ones that were combat ready. The United States Army had done away with its tank battalion mm-hmm. in the United States and in the far far east. And so, what these guys were rolling into action with right off the bat okay. <laughs> were not ready, yeah. and. You know, I've got plenty of literature that I can provide. Mm. Uh, so it's it's really stunning to think that a nation that, you know, had done what it had done in 1945, how woefully unprepared we were in 1950. Right. And, and without creating another political conversation, you know, President Truman just simply said, Send in, send in the soldiers. 
-hmm. There was no, there never was a, uh, a declaration of war or an act by Congress. He did that unilaterally. Yeah. And that same policy has been followed ever since. Mm -hmm. So, and, and speaking of Truman, we'll give you a little background on one of the scenarios just real quick. One of the what ifs. It's it's one of my personal favorites. It's called Nuke Until They Glow. Yep. <laughs> yes. And, and and there's a reason why we had to have that in there. Uh, when the Truman uh, administration left and the Eisenhower administration came into the White House, they had a long and uh, laborious discussions about what was going on and the spread of communism. And mm -hmm. not just Korea, but China, all along the Pacific Rim, Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And they were they were really, really worried. Yeah, there was some probably worrisome in the in the Europe, but at that time, Brad, the United States nuclear arsenal consisted of forty-eight weapons or devices. Oh wow! Of that forty-eight, they moved twenty-four to Guam. Oh, yeah. So, guess what they were going to do with them? Oh, I if can Chip, guess. If Chip Yong Ni would have went the other way, Chip Yong Ni is basically the Gettysburg of Korea, mm -hmm. if you want to put it in a time uh, comparison. If we would have lost Chip Young Ni, Jack mm -hmm. Nukes would have been used. So we we had to do something and put something in there. So nuke them till they glow is in there, and, it, and it's a, a what if scenario that if it goes wrong, there is no winners. Just a long winter. Yeah. So grab your partner. Hey, and I was looking for something because I put it in here. I was delirious one night. I mean, like literally <laughs> delirious one night. And I was hating everybody, well, almost everybody on the planet. Mm -hmm. And I consumed way too much coffee and who knows what else, mm -hmm. probably far too much medication. And I'd come across a, a piece of artillery. Oh, atomic Annie. Atomic Annie. So I thought, well, I, I wonder if Paul Sawyer's going to catch this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I put the M65 atomic cannon on the army list. And it's. <laughs> Well, it, 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 it was removed and put into a box out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the box out, I know where the box out is. It's, but, uh, yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's right here in the front. But I, I, I started putting stats in for it. Page 21. <laughs> yeah. page 21 M65 atomic cannon. But I started putting stats in for it because they actually moved one of these to the wall. Yeah. 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 So, so again, then and that's. So, and then I even provided, I provided them the, the money shot picture where they fired this thing out in Nevada. Eight miles away. Yeah. And uh, but I put stats in for it, like you know the size of the crew and mm -hmm. fixed weapon. It was a mobile sort of stuff, you know. And and then I put down like like special rules, and I put down like fifty d six scenario mm -hmm. ending, stuff like that. And of course, in my in my mind, you know, at three a.m., I'm chuckling to myself as I'm writing this. You know, <laughs> I thought it was funny, but uh, you know, this the yeah. Our cousins in England, their sense of humor didn't 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 track. Yeah, no. Yeah, but but we had to put that in there because that's boys and girls how close the Korea War got to being hot. I was going to add lasers, but you know, yeah. then I thought we're not going to add the <laughs> well, lasers. And then and then the other the other one about uh, is uh, Ivan needs your help. Uh, up until the fall of 1989, when the Russian government fell, there was always speculation, but no real proof that a majority of the MiG pilots were. Russian. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so up until 1989, that question was speculated. It was answered with a resounding, oh, hell yes. Um, but um, so in that scenario, Ivan needs your help. A crashed 
communist jets in the middle of the board. And if the communist forces get to a first grade, they'll either grab Ivan or shoot him mm-hmm. and get off the board. If the UN forces get him, it becomes a propaganda coup. Yeah. So it's kind of like the Gary Powers 40 years early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, right? Oh, that's – yeah, that's cool. Uh, I love that. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, Brad. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm loving all the flavor that's injected in here. And, well, um, yeah. And here's and here's the cherry on the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the cherry on the top for the book. This, this was one thing that me and Steve fought from day one. We wanted it in the book. Uh, Paul Sawyer became on board, and he was fighting heavily for the book. Mm-hmm. For the first time in the history of Bolt Action, on the last page of the book, there's a mm-hmm. dedication. Uh, if you if you're familiar with the 1950s Green Book series that the United States Army put out, mm-hmm. every every one of those books, the very first page had the words to those who have served. Mm-hmm. We put that in the back of Korea, uh, awesome. so it's not just it, it, it's a labor of love. Uh, Steve and I did a lot of uh, Steve did a, a whole bunch of work mm-hmm. on this, stuff. and. Uh, we, we, we want to make sure it was done right. So the last page is the dedication to not only those who served, but we just couldn't figure out how to get the Hangul into the typeset. Mm-hmm. So the phrase in the back of the book is translated from Hangul, which is the, the Korean uh, alphabet. Mm-hmm. And it says, for those who lost their lives for this country. So there's actually a dedication to the combatants, which is the first time there's ever been done in bolt action. Oh, that's awesome. Nicely done. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that when you say it, it goes, of course, that should have been there all along. But, um, of course, until it's done, you don't realize it's not there. The uh, the second statement I had actually had done in, in, in Hangul, the Korean language, um, and that was translated uh, by a right. family friend. It was Brian's mom. Right. She was actually uh, from the Incheon area. Oh, wow. And... Yeah. Um, but when we turned it over to the studio and I guess when they turned it over to Osprey, they, they had difficulty, uh, getting that into typeset, which I thoroughly understand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you don't, yeah, it's a the, very different with, alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And within the Asian translation, I will simply say that, uh, there's lots of nuances for error, error. Mm. And so for, I'll say politically correctness or political correctness. It was easier just to revert it back to English. And so um, sadly we were not able to get that into Korean, but you know, the, the intent was there. And John and I as veterans and both of us have, have done deployments in Korea. (laughs) And it was, it was important that, you know, not just for bolt action Korea, but just as veterans and for veterans, um, yeah, we're playing a game mm-hmm. and we're enacting battles on a tabletop, but let us not forget the why. Right. It, we don't wave that flag, but, you know, almost mm-hmm. every, every one of the people that's been part of John's Raiders group through, you know, throughout the years, all but one or two maybe mm-hmm. are veterans or have worked with veterans mm-hmm. or, or somehow connected with veterans. Yeah. And, so, and the veterans who see that at the back really like it. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, like you said, it should have been there, but now it's there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, that, that, that I think is a beautiful segue to, um, 
to a, to a, a beautiful end, I think. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I am, I mean, I was jazzed for this book before talking to you. Um, albeit, <laughs> I've only just gotten my copy. It has gone wild. It's out in the wild now. Um, so I've, I am only scratching the surface. I haven't had time to sit down and, you know, dig in because, as you say, it is 240 pages. There are tons of scenarios. We have six new army lists with variations within, with um, not just theater selectors, but time period um, selectors that match each army appropriately um, and that allow you to play fun-themed games um, as well as if you want to play, you know, competitively against another Korean player, you're able to do that. Um, A lot, I mean, clearly, as you say, a lot of work has gone into this book um and if 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 anything if it inspires somebody to pick up a book somewhere and read more then mm -hmm. we've done it exactly well i know just the announcement of you guys doing this led to me buying three books on history uh one of which i mentioned earlier about the korean war and uh listened to it got me listening to a lot of uh korean war history podcasts so i gotta say Uh, and and one more thing uh, Mm. brad the books but if you get a chance you got to watch that show Tagugi. uh it, it's it's korean based it's done by koreans it's by and there's a lot in the book that we tried to to uh simulate from that movie yeah there's some propaganda in it but if you want to see just how nasty it got right that movie and totally. if you get this the special selector two dish set you get some more stuff on there nice well uh, just just to quickly also point out Guys, if you haven't checked out the Warlord Games website to check out the new range of models, I mean, clearly some of the Commonwealth, some of the Allied forces um, are using some repetitive models from World War II because they were using that equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. But for Warlord to put out an entirely new Chinese army, for Warlord to put out an entirely new North Korean army, for Warlord to put out, um, we have brand new vehicles. We have the Patton, we have the BTR-40. Um, I mean, British and, yeah, British and yep, the Centurion. There's yeah, we, well, and British infantry in, in summer kit. There, there's they're, they're coming. There, there's about I know of at least six to six months of release stuff that we're it, it, there's a ton, and then there's a whole other aspect. So that's awesome, man. And I mean, that is just as as you say, that's just scratching the surface. We haven't yeah, well, even seen everything that's coming. That's just what's and released Miguel. day dot. Yeah, and Miguel is out there, and that's. I mean, if you play Blood Red Skies, you love Blood Red Skies. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yep. uh, Galley is just a whole other, and Andy just put that out there to have some fun with it. And and if that base swells, you'll see more jet ages up to missiles because uh, missiles awesome. are a whole other uh, a ball of wax. That's, oh yeah. I don't know once in there, but but Galley. So so now you can do that trifecta that everybody loves to do. You do a Korean action mm-hmm. with both bolt, bolt action Korea. Then you do another table of MIG Alley, trying to get mm-hmm. bombers through. You know, the uh, those guys over on uh, Lead Pursuit have some stats for B-29s now. Sweet. And then you do some Cruel Sea stuff, so you can have all three land, sea, and air games going on at the same time. That's awesome. And Yeah, as exactly. you say, the total package. Yep, the total package. Fantastic. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this, and thank you for all your hard work. It's fantastic that Bolt Action has... Uh, sort of expanded beyond its borders. Um, we have we're going in in new and interesting directions, and you know hopefully that will, this will continue. Um, depending on, yeah, I guess maybe how popular Korea is, and we well, see well, we see where we end up. 
Yeah, and, and and just just for those people out there that are going to ask the question, when's numb? I know it's out there, and, and <laughs> I'm not thinking and, yet. I'm just saying. I, I'm not, yeah, yeah. Well, and here's and here's the caveat. I'll say this: My good friend Stephen Morris says this: Why should we leap when we can walk? And what I mean is, mm-hmm. there's always the Israeli wars. Mm-hmm. There's Ibi Baki. There's mm-hmm. Rhodesia. There's all those brush fires. So instead of trying to guess what an M16 is like, let's walk it through those. Uh, 15, 12 years between mm-hmm. those two, and let's do it right. So right. expect to see more, I think, because if this is as popular as we hope it is, this will open the door for – now, there's guys out there doing bolt-action modern. Bless oh, yeah. your heart. Go, knock yourself out. But if you want to see more of this, there you go. That's fantastic. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and thank you, listener at home, who have been uh, sticking with us. This is a little bit longer than the Warlord cast usually runs, but uh, I don't think we've been, uh, I don't think we've been <laughs> short of conversational topics today. Um, so thank you for sticking with us. Um, and thank you to everyone who have messaged with feedback for the show. Uh, we take the feedback uh, that you guys send us, the questions, the requests. We take it very seriously here at the Warlord Podcast. Um, if you would like to give us feedback, you can reach the host. That's me. My name is Brad. Um, you can reach us through my other podcast social media page. If you go to Facebook and you search up Cast Dice, that's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Um, that's my personal hobby page. Um, if you message that page, I, uh, that is where all the messages, uh, go. And, uh, that is where I compile things and pass them on either to warlord or I make sure that they are included in future shows. So again, thank you to everyone who have, has been supportive of this podcast. Uh, I guess we've been going for about a year and a half now. Um, and as I say on these podcasts regularly, uh, but I don't want to take lightly, uh, podcasts don't cost anything for you to pick up and listen to but they do take time and time is often money or in some cases more precious than money for some of us. So uh, the fact that you've taken the time to sit down and uh, join us today to talk about, you know, Warlord's exceptional games and products, just, uh, you know, we appreciate, we at Warlord Games and at the Warlord Game podcast would like to say thank you for taking that time. It is appreciated. And uh, I guess without further ado, I guess we'll have to see what's coming next, guys. I'm not going to tease the next episode. You're just going to have to wait this time. So uh, until then, we would like to say, have a great time playing Warlord games. Good night.